You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, we are live. We are going to fire up the post-game show in three, two, one. Welcome in, Bears fans, to not your average Bears post-game show. I am your host, Bill Zimmerman, and I am joined this week by Danny Meehan of Windy City Gridiron. You can catch Danny on Bare Bones with Mason West on Thursday evenings. Does a great job there. Great job analyzing the game and looking at prospects and and other things in the offseason. Brings a lot to the table. So we're going to ask him to bring a lot to the table today after a rough 27-17 loss as the Bears fall to 0-2. Danny, I'll just start with you and kind of give me your initial thoughts here because I mean, it was a bit of a roller coaster. You know, they, they gave a glimmer of hope there in the fourth quarter. But this, you know, other than that opening drive and that glimmer of hope in the fourth quarter, this was a rough one on a lot of different levels. Well, first off, you give me a lot of credit <laughs> thinking I know what I talk. I know what I'm talking about. I, I don't. I'm just kind of a fan who seems to let my thoughts sink in versus, you know, shooting from the hip, as it were. But, it, yeah, it's, it was a rough game, man. Like, you and I were talking before we went live and it's like, I don't think either of us were expecting playoffs or even to be anything more than fun and watchable. And it's like, time is a flat circle. It's not fun. It's not watchable. It's just, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really where I am. And this is where I'm from. I mean, there's, there's a Justin Fields aspect to it. That's very frustrating that, that we're going to get to and spend a lot of time mm-hmm. on it because we have to, but just kind of the overall with, with this team, I know there were a lot of bears fans and some local bears media and content creators that were sitting there going, I think this team can make a playoff run. I think nine, 10 wins is, is, is there. That, that wasn't my thought process. My thought press going into this year. And I said it on my podcast regularly was, this is going to, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have ups and downs, but we're going to have fun as Bears fans this year because we're going to see Justin Fields growing. We haven't had DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Chase Claypool like that much talent at the wide receiving core, maybe ever. Cause you can go back to like Brandon Marshall, Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey. They didn't have that third guy like mm-hmm. Claypool in theory can be and in theory is 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 a lot here with chase after the first couple games we'll get into chase as well but i I thought this was going to be fun we're going to get some explosive plays we're going to have some games where we put up some points there were going to be some struggles as well but what i'm seeing right now danny and i guess we're going to start with coaching and kind of matt eberflus and you know let's kind of talk about the coaching and the preparation overall before we kind of get into specifics offensive and defensively with the coaching is This team, and I understand there has been a lot of distractions going around the team. You know, Nate Davis dealing with a personal issue, Alan Williams dealing with a personal issue, neither of them at the game. I I understand there's things that can be distractions. But beyond that, this team feels unprepared in each of the last two weeks in a lot of ways. It was better this week, obviously, than, than last week. 
but the coaching Danny to me isn't isn't there right now and a top to bottom kind of the CEO coach I'm looking at you Matt Eberflus Mm-hmm. I am really frustrated because, and I said this, I gave the coaching a pass last year because I didn't know what it was. There was such a, a weak amount of talent on the field. It was really hard to decipher what was talent and what was coaching. But there is enough talent. There's holes on this roster. But there is enough talent that there should be better coaching and this team should have better synergy and better flow. And it does not right now. It's that, and it almost feels like this whole team coaching and roster came in with like a sense of entitlement. Like we heard like them saying like how chippy they were, Barky, especially the defense were, was in the crossover practices in Indianapolis with the Colts and like how they were being like almost salty to the point where they think they earned something when it's like you didn't earn a damn bit of anything, right? Like – and then you you bring up the fact that Matt Eberflus is supposed to be the CEO head coach. He is supposed to be overseeing everything, and this is how you come out. Now, granted, I actually think the defense was better. It wasn't super. It wasn't as vanilla as last week. They mixed up some pressure packages and coverage packages and everything. Like at least from what it looked like on the media co- copy, but it still leaves a lot to be desired, especially with everything you invested into this team. Like the amount that was invested specifically into the office between DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, like Cole Komet got his money. You drafted Darnell Wright. You paid Nate Davis. And I get Nate Davis hasn't been there. You traded for Dan Feeney. And I get it's only a sixth round pick, but there's things that like need to be questioned, questioned rather, not questioned, that's not a word, but questioned because of the investment that's gone specifically into the offensive side of the ball. And then the reports you were getting out of camp and practices saying how this defense was acting a certain type of way. Like you, you come and conduct yourself a certain type of way. You better perform a certain type of way. Right. It's like that in any aspect. Sure. It, it could be what I do on the fire department. It could be what you do in sports, sports uh, radio producing, whatever it might be. Right. It, it but it needs to, kind of manifest itself instead of just being a lot of hubbub yeah look it it absolutely does and and i agree with you there was there was something you you want to sit there and and here's the fine line you want to sit there and and the fine line between confidence and cocky and and a confident defense even if you quote haven't earned it i'm fine with that believing in yourself and all that but yeah there, there was this kind of chip on your shoulder like hey we're 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 here. We 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 don't need this criticism. This kind of thing, and, and that 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 was odd. And that's where I, I just what Matt Eberflus, the, kind of what he preached a year ago versus kind of what we heard from him this offseason was wildly different. And I don't know why the approach changed. You know, I mean, maybe he was just trying to establish himself and his you know structure and and, and all last year and, and kind of expected them to kind of leap, go forward with it this year, but it, it didn't work in training camp. And that's the thing training camp preseason. It's hard to throw up a lot of red flags because it's training camp and preseason it's practices. There's not a lot going on, but when I had Aaron Lemming on to kind of do our, our season preview, we were mm-hmm. both kind of sitting there going, I just don't like the vibe of this team right now. It was tough to kind of place your finger on it, and and there were a lot of different things going on. But you know, we were we we talked basically ten days before the Packers game, and both of us just felt uneasy about where this team was mentally, physically, preparedness, 
entering the season and through two games, unfortunately, it looks like we were correct. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the entitlement thing really seems to be rearing its ugly head. Like they really felt like between all the like specifically the Bill Barnwell article comes to mind where he cited the Vikings, I think, is the biggest team for regression and the Bears is one of the two or three biggest teams for progression, like making making their presence felt. And it's just like, did you let the press clippings get to you? Did you let the five, what was it, four or five game stretch where you led the NFL in scoring really get to your head? It's so hard to really pick the moment of which it came because this team won three games last year. It held the number one pick in the NFL draft, which they willingly traded away. And this is what you look like. Yeah. Like, and here's the thing. I agree with you about kind of the press clippings thing. Cause there were spatterings of people who were very high on the bears this mm-hmm. year, but there were plenty that weren't. I mean, the Vegas had the over under at seven and a half. That's, you know, that's a losing record. Even if you hit the over potentially there, there most of the power rankings coming from NFL riders, the bears were mm-hmm. the high end was 23, 24. Right. It was frustrating to me because I saw a lot of writers putting them at 26, 27, 20. I'm like, Oh, come on. They're better than that. The fan in me was getting, but the, it, it was mixed reviews going into this team. So the fact that there was any level of entitlement to me, that goes back to the coaching. And that's where this gets just kind of so frustrating. And, and before we keep going on, I just want to say those of you listening live right now, appreciate you listening. If you've got comments, questions, we are going to get to those a little bit later in this post-game podcast. So make sure you drop them in the comments section. We will get to them. But Danny, well, we're talking about coaching. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the defensive game plan since we're talking about Matt Eberflus. The defensive game plan, like it, it was, it was kind of an odd game defensively because mm-hmm. you got to give the Bears credit; they didn't give up a ton of points to the Bucks, especially with how much the offense sputtered. You know, in the second and third quarter, you know, they only gave up twenty. You know, get rid of the pick six; they only gave up twenty points in total. That you know, that that's pretty good. But at the same time, four hundred and forty yards thereabouts in offense they gave up positives and negatives from the defensive side of the ball what did you see um I think the positive was they did look like they had a renewed life like and it's completely anecdotal you can only like go off of what you're watching on tv especially on the first walk through or the first watch through on fox you know there's only so much you right. can take from that but I thought they showed up with a lot more energy um I think Andrew Billings is a really good football player like yeah, I, I mean, he, he, he pops off the, the screen, but it's like him and then Walker, and then you're just left searching for answers. Yannick Ngakwe should have had two sacks, if not more, if he just finishes the play on Baker Mayfield. Like if Baker Mayfield is a stronger, stout quarterback, but like just dude, you you're getting paid wrap up nine, nine ten million dollars. Finish the hit, like it, wrap up, like you said. I, I appreciate that they dialed up some pressure packages. I appreciate that they clearly weren't just sitting in the base Tampa two or cover two, but like at, at a certain point, you still also let up nearly 500 yards to a Baker Mayfield led offense when they really couldn't run the ball much. Like, and I get it. Like, what was it? 50 yards of it came off of a clear Mike Evans offensive pass interference that went completely neglected by the team, but or by, by the officiating crew. But 
that's not an excuse. Like that was so early in the game. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like I, I look at this uh, and, and look, you can pinpoint a lot of different things. There were obviously mistakes. There were injuries obviously to the secondary coming into the game and then added to it. That certainly didn't help either. But at the same time, some of the basic things that defense defenders need to do, like I was really bothered the end around that they had uh, in, in the first quarter that, that the Bucks did. I mean, Demarcus Walker just—he was supposed to set the edge over there. He mm-hmm. just crashed down hard and just left a huge lane lane for the Bucks to score. Like, like it's little things like that. I'm like, you've got to do your job. You've got to know what you're supposed to do within the confines of the play call. And to me, there were still, I, I, you know, again, like you said, it's tough to see on the on the first watch. When you come back and rewatch the game, you'll mm-hmm. learn a lot more about what happened. But at, at the same time, players need to be doing their jobs. And, and I think that there is a lack of trust a lot of times with some of these more established players, maybe with the rookies or the lesser players, where they're trying to do the job of two players and they end up not doing the job of any player. Right. And, and you wonder how much of it is like, overcompensation and frustration and just like kind of to like the first part of the overcompensation of like, you don't trust Gervon Dexter at this point in his career to go and make a play or do his assignment. How much is, is that DeMarcus Walker overcompensating, crashing over, like, over, like that setting says crashing in super hard and then just compromising the edge. Like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, like, it's, that it's very frustrating because you don't know, but what you do know is that this team is sitting at 0-2 with a trip to Arrowhead next week. And I understand the Chiefs haven't exactly been a well-oiled <laughs> machine at this point in the season, but uh, if anyone thinks that this Bears team, the way it's playing right now, can go into Arrowhead and even compete right now, I- I'm going to laugh at you because I-, I don't see that at all. But let- let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball, Danny, because I think that's where – that's what people want to hear. That's what people want to talk about right now. And, and I don't think we need to separate Fields and Getze. I think we can kind of talk about them yep. together because it's it's your left hand and your right hand working together here. Yep. There was a lot to be desired here. And, and we could start with the opening drive. And the opening drive, you know, assuming it was scripted, it worked. They got the ball to DJ Moore. They marched right down the field. Sixth place, I think it was, 75 yards, bam, touchdown. You go, okay. This is the offense that I thought the Bears had the potential to bring this year. And after that opening drive, before they had the drive to put a little hope back in, you know, a glimmer of hope back into Bears fans, I believe it was 34 plays for 62 yards after that opening drive, before they had the, the successful drive. Is that 34 bad? plays for 62 yards. I'm not sure if that's bad or not. It sounds bad though. <laughs> I think it's prob. I think you want to average a little over two yards a play. I think that's, that's oh, more point. than two yards a play yeah. is good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, like you said, it's the left hand, the right hand working together. And I, I mentioned, I, I can't, I know I keep referencing us like pre-show, but I, I feel it's so too prompt. Like I don't know if Luke Getzey's any good at this. Like I, I genuinely don't. It's hard. It's hard to look at it any other way. And then the other part of it is like you're you're hard pressed to find a bigger believer in Justin Fields than me, and I see things like him holding the ball twice by my count on first watch through, where the sack is his fault. Yep. There are there are open players and he's not throwing the football. Like I, I get it, we've seen it before, like the famous Sam Darnold thing where he's on the bench and he's saying to his teammate. 
I'm seeing ghosts out there. Like, and I've been on the the my old my so my old podcast. I've been on the Lunch Pal Draftcast with Jacob Infante on this very channel saying the worst thing a quarterback can start doing is feeling pressure and seeing ghosts that aren't there because it's the hardest thing for a quarterback to overcome. And it, it's not just the offensive play caller. It's not just the quarterback. It always goes hand in hand. But I feel like he's starting to do things and sense things that aren't there. And then you're starting to get to the point of when he does that, it goes back to Luke Getze. Is the game plan being called because he knows Justin doesn't trust himself? I, I just don't know what – it's the chicken or the egg. What happened first? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, and that's the thing. I don't think any of us have the answer to this. I don't even know what, what they know in the quarterback room, how, how much they know at this point. But you're, the, the play calling does have, including week one, it has a fear aspect to it. It a does. conservative aspect. And again, is it Luke Getze doesn't trust Justin Fields? Is it Luke Getze, you know, you know, doesn't think Justin Fields trusts himself? Does just or is Luke Getze calling the place and Justin Fields is not ripping it because he doesn't trust himself? Like there's something is going on here, something is amiss, whether it's Justin is overthinking, whether they've beaten some of that killer instinct out of him. I'm not sure what it is because there were moments in this game where he just let it rip and made, you know, the, the threading the needle to chase Claypool for the touchdown. That was an awesome throw. That was, that was fantastic. And he had a couple others like that, that were fantastic throws mm-hmm. on the move. You know, even, even the catch that Komet didn't make, that was, a, that was a great play on the move hit, you know, split two defenders, got it to Komet. Komet needed to hold on to that one. But the fact is you, you still see the glimpses of it, but the problem is when, when I want to see a quarterback come along and if they're going to come along slowly, year three is not the time for glimpses. You know, year no, one is the time for glimpses. Year two is the time where they start stacking maybe drives, but not stacking together a full game. Year three, we need to see games from Justin Fields. Sure, a mistake or two within a body of a game, fine. But we need to see games from Justin Fields where he is stacking play after play after play after play. And we are not there. Like this is, these are the type of games you would expect out of a rookie, not a third year player. And and if I'm going to go hard on Justin Fields, like saying, Hey, you're not doing certain things. I, I got to also then put the, sh- put the glove on the other hand, shoot on the other foot. I don't know what those are saying, but it sounds right. Um, where did the quarterback run game disappear to? I get a lot of his running yards last year. Rushing yards came from broken plays, et cetera, et cetera. But at a certain point, you have to understand what your what your personnel does well. And that's on Luke Getze. What was there, one or two designed runs today? Like, you yeah, have, I, 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 one, I don't know if there was two. Like, you have to just sit, understand that there's maybe one person in the planet, let alone the league, that can do what Justin Fields can do when he's in the open field. Like, let him go. And I know it's like, a weird thing to describe field strikes me as the kind of player and it's just basing off what I watched last year and his rookie season that he needs to feel like he's in the game. Like when he makes a play, when he's a rhythm player, absolutely. When when he runs through someone or runs by somebody and makes a big play, he feels like he's now a part. It's like a boxer who gets hit in the face and now he's ready to fight. Like, I don't understand a, a better way to explain it than that. But that's the kind of player he feels like where he needs to almost 
like I get he he had the he had the walk in touchdown where Chase Claypool fell down and then failed to block and was a fan watching number one walk <laughs> into the end zone, but he it's almost like he needs to like taste his own blood in his mouth. It's really weird. To, so he understands he's like it, it's it's game time. Like I don't know how else to explain it, but that's just how he feels almost. Like he's a rhythm player, like you said, to put an easy term terminology to it. But I, they just it's like they just don't want to do that. Yeah, four, it, four four carries for three yards today from Justin Fields. That was that's what we had. He, he he ran for three yards today. Three yards. Fantastic. The guy ran for almost a single season rushing record last year as a quarterback. And Baker Mayfield, by comparison, had seventeen. Even better. I, I'm not sure about you, Bill, but I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and here's here's the problem. And you can you can blame Luke Getzey. You can blame the offensive line. You can blame Justin Field. Whatever you want to do. But this is the reality we're in right now. Is we are really starting to creep into 2019 mode. 2019 mode being Mitch Trubisky year three. Forget 2018 being 12 and four. We're talking about the 2019 Mitch Trubisky year three leap that we were hoping and expecting as Bears fans, where he really came into his own as a passer Mm -hmm. and a second year in Matt Nagy's offense, and everything was supposed to start clicking. And that week one game, it was not good against the Packers. I think week two was against the Broncos. They ended up winning that game, and Mitch did make a play at the end, you know, a, 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 a tough third down throw at the end of the game, which set up the winning field goal, but he was bad throughout that game. And, yeah, I think we're seeing more from Fields than we were from Trubisky. I'm not putting them in the exact same category. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to be sitting here going – we are two games into this this season. We're, you know, what, about 12% into the season, whatever it is. And we are quickly, quickly getting into a position that the Bears may not have two first-round picks to bolster this team around Justin Fields. The Bears may have two first-round picks to replace Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to ignore that kind of hiding truth, as it were. Like, like I said, I, you're not going to find a bigger Justin Fields person than me. I'll probably be, to kind of quote my friend Mason, uh, who's my co-host on Bare Bones, like I'll be, I'm the first at the party, I'll be the last at the funeral kind of thing. Like I'll be right there with him. Like I don't want to say that. I don't think any Bear fan wants to say it because I don't think any Bears fan genuinely dislikes Justin Fields. Everything you've ever heard about him, everything you've ever seen about him says he should be the guy. But – at a certain point, for as much as the Bears have put on a master class in how to ruin a blue-chip elite quarterback prospect, he's got to overcome some things. Like, I always go back to the – like, I was fully out on Mitch after week one, 2019. You and I were talking then. That was like – week one was just like me being like, I threw my hands up. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. If your offensive line has to be perfect, if your receivers have to be perfect, if everything in your scenario has to be perfect for you to succeed, you're not the guy. Right. That's just how it goes. Am I giving up on Justin Fields? Absolutely not. I'm going to ride this ship to the very bottom. But there's a lot of questions that still need answering, and I don't think we have any answers in sight. And that's the scariest part about this season so far, Bill. Fields hasn't been outright bad. He hasn't been bad enough to the point where you can just say, punt on him, it's time to be done. Right. The worst thing that could come of this season is just not having an answer. And so far, I don't think we have an answer. 
No, we don't have an answer. And that's the thing. And I understand he only had, you know, three yards rushing or whatever today, but you know, there's going to be, you know, at least 30, 40 yards rushing. He's gone over 200 yards. And again, I'm just looking statistically. We know what we're seeing in the body of the game. We're going to get, I'll, I'll isolate a couple of plays and we'll, we'll talk about them. Good and bad plays for Justin Fields, sure. but just playing the, the old statistical game. And this is what's dangerous. Justin Fields has got, you know, 200 yards plus uh, passing in each game. He's got now he's averaging even with the three yards, he's averaging 30 yards rushing a game. Justin Fields at the end of the year throws for 3,500. If he plays, if he's healthy for 17 games, throws for 3,500 yards and has, you know, what it would be like 600 yards rushing. People are going to sit there if at at just box score Mm -hmm. scout and go, look at that. He's, he's coming into his own. He's, he's getting better. But when you watch the body of the game and see the amount of plays he's leaving on the field, and I'll bring up the one, and I think you were you were referencing it when you talked about where he just held onto the football. Mm-hmm. There was a play when they were driving, I believe it was second quarter, they were driving, they were in Bucks territory, and he held onto the ball for like six or seven seconds and got sacked. And you know, when I watched the play originally, I saw DJ Moore kind of just kind of did a little, you know, out route and was kind of over by the sidelines. I was like, well, that's an easy one right there. Now, when you watch the replay, you saw there was a guy about four or five yards up. It only would have been about a three or four yard gain. But Roshan Johnson was streaking open up the Mm -hmm. seat. I mean, wide, wide open. Like this isn't like the screen, you know, the screenshot game where you're like, oh, he wasn't as open as he looks in that. No. He was wide open. It was an easy pitch and catch for a touchdown or at least inside the five. It was that wide open. And how he held on to the football for that amount of time and didn't see that is alarming. It is. And it's like it's one of the things like even if he hits DJ Moore on the what the four year four or five yard out route, you live with it because it's a completion. Whatever. It's not great. You would have rather he take the shot to Roshan, even if it, even if it ends up in a pick, say safety comes cross field and takes the ball away. Like I, I, I say it all the time. People forget a lot of times defenders are paid to make plays too. Sometimes it just happens, but at a certain point you have to grip it and rip it. Like, and I know uh, the quarterback guy, I forget his name. He's been on 670 to score and he's been on uh Hogan Johns recently the past week talking about how Fields needs a little more effort to him. And he does. Like if he like I know Justin I know Jay Cutler rather has a enigmatic Bears existence to say the least. But if he was even 15-20% of Cutler where he just had effort to him. Like I'm going to sling this thing. It would be so much better for him because that's the kind of talent he is like and i just don't know if the he should have ripped it to johnson at the very least he should have at least just made the throw to dj Moore. but i don't know what to do with this six seven sack like it's an awful play and that's right. on justin fields the, pro- the protection is there he should in theory speed read through that get to roshan Oh crap! He's he's streaking open and make that throw, regardless of the outcome. That is the correct decision. Or come down, make your out route throw, live to fight another down. 
taking the sack is inexcusable in that situation. Yeah. And that's the thing is we, we isolate that play, but there were other plays where he held on to the mm-hmm. ball. Now I'm going to be really interested when I come back and listen and watch this game because yes, it was six, seven sacks, whatever, whatever the, the bucks had. I don't feel like the protection was that bad. Sure, there were some plays where, like, Vita Vea Vea just crushed some people up the middle and just came rumbling through. That's going to happen because, you know, when you got Shaq Barrett, when you got Vita Vea, when you got talented guys like that, you're going to, you're going to make some plays like that. That's going to happen. But I thought the protection was much better this week than it was against the Packers. And I think Fields really missed a lot, you know, in terms of pocket feel and presence. And he just wasn't feeling it like he should. Where And that's usually where he's able to move. And, mm-hmm. and that's where he runs, picks up seven, eight yards, or all, all the different things that he can do. And he wasn't doing it today. And I don't know if – I just don't know what it was. And, you know, like he, uh, uh, on the touchdown run, you know, he, he came out there and goes, I'm getting to the pylon before anyone else. And, you know, while we're just kind of uh, – on a side note, you know, you brought up Chase Claypool whiffing his block there. But Mercedes Lewis blocked two people. Like, that was awesome. Like, I want to see more Mercedes Lewis. I understand he's not, he's a sixth offensive lineman, <laughs> but he helps the offense, Danny. He helps the offense. He's so good at what he does. And like, Bill, some, I'm not meaning to laugh at you because some, you're totally right. Because Mercedes Lewis is awesome at what he does, he is legitimately awesome at it. I think the issue that I would point out and that I'm sure Luke Getze or Matt Eberhus would tell you is if he's on the field, is it tell? He's telling you exactly what you're going to do. Well, then how about we do a little more max protect and, and still throw the – there's things you can do, dude. Be creative. Still, there's, you can run the quarterback. You can move the pocket. You can Instead of making full field reads, you can do a play action once in a while even. Believe it yeah. or not, play actions are allowed, and they just choose to not – do them for some strange reason. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've got and no that, answers, Bill. I've got none. And that's the thing with Getsy here is, you know, you you said it five, ten minutes ago, you're not sure if he's good at his job. I'm definitely leaning in, in the negatory in that because I haven't seen... <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen much other than when he told Justin in that New England Miami, you know, stretch last season and goes, just, just run, <laughs> you know, other than that, like I haven't seen him making decisions that are positively impacting this team. And, and, and that's the thing, like Danny Parkins last week when I had him on my podcast said, I don't know what Matt Eberflus's edge is for this team. Like what he does, that's really good. That is helping elevate this team. I don't know what Luke Getze's edge is with this offense. I, I don't know what he's bringing. There's a lack of creativity. There, he's not getting things in the rhythm. And it's not all his fault. There's we, we just talked about it. There are a lot of mistakes that Justin Fields is making on the field, and he's not making up for them with his big playability, which is a lethal combination. But Luke Getze, I, I, I also, I really wonder, like, I just, I can't, I, I sit here just stumble over my words because I literally cannot figure out what the game plan is and it feels so much like Nagy and Trubisky and I understand it's a different set of personnel and I understand it's a different play caller and a different you know level of talent and quarterback but it was the same thing like was Nagy an idiot or was Trubisky not able to run the offense it turns out you know the more you watch it and the more you look back and the more experts look at it it was it was coming out of both columns mm-hmm. and 
that's really where we seem to be headed right now is that Luke Getze, I mean, I remember Bears fans panicking that Luke Getze was going to get a head coaching job and, you know, we were going to lose him as the offensive <laughs> coordinator. Like, this was a big conversation last year, and at this point now, this looks like Luke Getze oh is not going God. to have a offensive coordinator job in 2024, not in Chicago, not anywhere. He'll get a QB coach job somewhere, something like that. But this offensive coordinator position for him is going south. Oh, it's going south in a hurry. And you kind of touched on it, Bill. The biggest worry I have right now on the whole is like the we're after the 18 season, the 12 and four year, whatever. We already kind of touched on that a little bit. I remember always asking on rule of three when that was a show on this network, what is the identity? What do they do that they can hang their hat on? And I couldn't come up with an answer ever. They ran mesh a lot. They didn't run it well, but they ran it a lot. <laughs> and I would always bring up the example of, and God, it sounds so crotchety and old to be like, well, the Lovey Smith Bears could run ISO. But they could. They could run ISO up the middle. And I knew they could get three or four yards when they needed three or four yards. What does this Bears team do well? And I thought with Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, they might have run, especially because the amount that Green Bay ran duos, that duos would come to Chicago, and that would be their bread and butter, their puke play, as it were, from the movie Semi-Pro, where it's like, you are, when you can't do anything else, you can do this, because it's just so ingrained in your DNA. And we're back to this point where I watch them, and I don't know what they do well. And that's an indictment on Luke Getze, it's an indictment on the offense, an offense that's an indictment on the defense. It's an indictment on the whole coaching staff and team because I still don't know. Or we are what since hell? I'll even give the the Tressman first year offense something. They had a bread and butter they could go to. I'm sure I haven't gone back and watched Mark Tressman because I fear for my mental health. But we are what. Yeah, I mean, short, quick passing game, Matt Forte. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they, were they, they did some successful things, absolutely. Sure, but like you're talking about, we're in the third regime since then, and I still am wondering, what the hell do we do well here in Chicago as a bear, as a Bears organization? And, and even if you break it down, not not just the organization, which I, like, I I don't know, but even if you break it down year to year, last year there was at least a level of identity and certainly it helped with Justin Fields running for a thousand yards, but this team could run the football. They were the number one running team mm -hmm. in the league. Yep. They, they had something they could hang their hat on. They literally couldn't do anything else. They couldn't throw the ball. They couldn't play defense at any level. They were basically last in every category, but they could run the football. They had some level of identity through two games right now. There is no identity. The passing game is weak. The running game is weak. The blocking is weak. The coaching is weak. The defense, it cannot stop the run. I mean, the, the Bucks may be the worst running team in the league. And they, that final, I, I know the Bears did get the ball back, but they got, what, two or three first downs running the ball before mm -hmm. the, the defense finally got to stop. That's unacceptable. And, yeah. and certainly, you know, Jordan Love thrown for three touchdowns, Baker Mayfield thrown for 300, whatever yards. There's problems all over the field right now, and there doesn't look like there's any solutions. 
There's not. And the way you said that, though, uh, there's a famous uh, like little snippet on NFL films from the old Tampa Bay Buccaneers regime. It was I think it was Rich McKay was the coach. I brought him up from the college level and he's on the sidelines of practice and he goes, well, we can't complete a pass. We can't run the ball. We can't stop anybody. But other than that, everything is great. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> Things are going well, everybody. <laughs> this is fun. I'm having fun. <laughs> Um, all right, let's, uh, again, if you're watching live, listening live, we appreciate it. You know, and again, if you have comments, make sure you drop them. We're going to get to them here really shortly, but Danny, I do want to isolate a few other players beyond fields and Getsy because we can't just keep beating the dead horse here for the, the rest of this podcast. I've got some, you know, some positives and some negatives, but let's start with Chase Claypool before we get into some of the other individuals, because obviously that was a huge point of conversation all this week after his mm-hmm. woeful effort and performance in week one effort did seem better this week, but he still left a lot on the field. I, I understand touchdown pass or touchdown reception had a couple nice plays, but also did some things that weren't great. Well, he still just seems to lack any sort of desire to block, which in this offense running or short game, short passing and he's going to have to block like it or not that's just and how he's offense what six four two forty put a body on somebody yeah, just get in the way <laughs> be a minor nuisance like i'm not asking for you to be heinz ward out there just be a nuisance <laughs> but um there's the other on the out route that eventually got called as an incompletion out of bounds it was initially ruled an interception but then they ruled he was juggling it out of bounds Yes, Fields was late to the out route. Two things can be true, though. He can be late to the out route, and you can just fail to fight for the ball. And that was also true. He has no urge or no fight in him to – like, it's getting to the point – I never want to question a professional athlete's love of the sport or want to to play the sport, but I'm getting to a point with Chase Claypool specifically where it's like, do you even want to play football? Because I genuinely don't know, because it doesn't show in any way, shape, or form. Like, I know we've heard the, like, I've brought it up before, where Russell Westbrook is notoriously like, I don't talk about basketball unless I'm at the arena. Because he's got interests outside of basketball. The difference is, Russ is an MVP in 11-time All-Star or something like that. And yeah, and what you say about Westbrook with all the, and I know this is not a basketball podcast, but with all the faults in, in, in Russ Westbrook's game, have you ever watched Russell Westbrook and go, that guy's not making a 100% effort out on the court? It may be a mess sometimes what he's doing, but the <laughs> effort is there. You know, this is not James Harden. This is Russ Westbrook. It's different. Yeah, he's he's a lunatic. He just doesn't care to talk about basketball off the court. And that's where, like, and I, I actively stood up for Chase in the offseason where everyone was, like, dogging him for doing the fashion show and everything. Like, I actively said – it's okay for athletes to have interests outside of their profession. It's human, in fact. But it doesn't look like he's even interested in what's paying his bills. And that's not just irritating. It's it's like concerning because right. a guy this talented should not be looking the way he does. No, and and – I mean, I'll, I'll bring up uh, Matt Matt Clapp, who is a Bears fan and a you know columnist, uh, online columnist, awful announcing. He he made a comment to me, and I'm going to bring it up because I thought it was so perfect. And, and we're talking about Chase Claypool and the la- lack of physicality 
and, and everything for what he is as an athletic specimen. He said he just he feels like the seven footer who gets four rebounds a game because he just doesn't get dirty. And he brought up the name Eddie Curry. And I was like, oh my God, that is it. Chase Claypool is Eddie Curry. Like it just fit so much because he just, I don't understand it. And, and, you know, again, I'll bring up what I talked to Danny Parkins about last week. He said, his ch- he asked, he was, is Chase Claypool literally the first athlete, professional athlete who is not motivated by money at all? Because this is his contract year. Like mm-hmm. the effort should be, he should want, you know, for, forget what he's doing when the cameras are off. When the cameras are on and other teams are putting together tape of potential free agents, his effort should be off the charts. It's you're only talking about, you know, you know, 900 plays over the course of a year, Chase. It's not that difficult to just give an effort on Sundays, but he's not doing it consistently. And, you know, sure, he made a couple nicer plays. The effort was better overall but he was still flat-footed. He's still not physical where he needs to be. He's not involved in the offense like he needs to be. Darnell Mooney gets his knee banged up and, and misses time, and Claypool it needs to be the guy out there. And I just don't understand what is going on in his head. And I'm with you. I do not like questioning players. Like I'm the guy that put out the tweet about Nate Davis in March about how Mike Rabel felt about him. And the amount of times that that tweet has reappeared on my timeline because people are bringing it back and bringing it back. Well, this is why Nate. And I just kept sitting there and said, maybe I don't know, but I don't know what's going on with Nate Davis. And I was as frustrated as a lot of other Bears fans with him. But you're just careful because you don't know what's going on in his head. And then we find out from Brad Biggs yesterday that Nate Davis is a very close family member that's been very sick for a couple months. And this has been a whole thing with Nate and, and the person just passed away. So like Nate's been going through it personally. And hopefully Nate takes some time off, gets his head where it needs to be, you know, mourns and grieves like he needs to and gets better on the field when he's ready to rejoin the team. But with Chase Claypool and again, is something going on? Is Does he have something? Going, I, I don't know. But the problem is, is this isn't an isolated thing with Chase. Like, oh, it's just been bad here for a couple of weeks. We go back to last season. We've got a half a season of tape. And there's right. just something going on with Chase Claypool He where you just you have to sit there and go, does he want to play football? I don't know what the answer is. I don't, do any of us know, really, Bill? Does Chase Claypool know? Yeah, it, it, like you were kind of alluding to, it all comes down to interest. Is he just a really... Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Physically gifted human being who happens to be a part of the football team or does he want to play football like I, and that remains to be seen yeah we're and we'll, we'll find out here over the course of the year hopefully whatever's going on with mooney isn't a big deal but you know before we get to questions and wrap this puppy up i want to talk about a couple of the other players one player i brought up who 
uh, you know, I cut a little slack to as this week went on and you got to see that the all 22 was Braxton Jones because he had a lot of penalties last week, 30 yards and penalties last week I, and a couple bad plays. But then when you look at the full body of the work, you know, the rest of it wasn't as bad, but I still sit there and go, you cannot have those were crippling holding penalties that he had last last week. Now we get to this week. I understand his holding penalty was was declined because it was a third down and the, the the play was a negative play, so the Bears punted. But yet another holding penalty, another false start. He got worked on a on a sack. Braxton Jones, and I said this coming into the year, he was a wonderful surprise last year being able to start as a fifth round rookie uh, coming out of you know a, a small school like that. But he needed to show one hundred percent that he was the guy this year because the Bears were going to have an opportunity to have a top 10 pick and get like a, a you know, I don't know if it's Fashanu, but there's a lot of good tackles, I think, that are going to be in this draft. And you have an opportunity to get two huge anchors on the side and really protect your offense, you know, protect your quarterback and really anchor your offensive line. And through two games, I am seeing regression from Braxton Jones. I am not seeing a guy taking a step to really establishing himself as a left tackle. I think Danny might be frozen, so I'm going to continue to babble, and we'll hope that his internet connection comes back. Uh, this is not your average Bears postgame show. I'm your host, Bill Zimmerman. I'm with Danny Meehan. Dan, are you back? You froze up. Yeah, I'm back. So, sorry about that. Uh, my We just had like a, a fuse blow or something. I just came back. So, yeah, it like uh, left, it came back, and then my internet must have detached from my phone and back to my router. It was a whole weird thing. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the five-second question. Braxton Jones, I didn't like what I saw last week with the penalties. This week, again, had a holding penalty. It was declined, but he had a holding penalty. He had another false start, and he got worked for a sack. I am getting concerned that Braxton Jones is regressing. Um, I'm with Braxton Jones is... All right, Dan, Danny's still freezing, so we're, we're going to give him a couple minutes to, to figure things out while, uh, you know, I'm going to switch over here. I'm going to take some questions uh, and comments from the audience. So, again, if you're watching live, you have any questions, you want to bring it up, comments, this is your chance to vent. Bears fall to 0-2 with a really hard game coming up in week three against the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. So let, let me go through some of the comments. Let's start with uh, Tony Hawthorne here, who says it's hard to have any faith in this coaching staff going forward after the first two games. Hope to see changes sooner rather than later. And, and Tony, I agree with you here. Danny and I have talked about it. The, the the coaching here has been woeful on all aspects to me. I thought Matt Eberflus called a better game than Alan Williams did in week one, but it didn't mean that he didn't have you know issues as well, especially, again, third down, left a lot of players open. And um, look, bottom line here is you have to question Luke Getze. You have to question the offensive game plan. You have to question the defensive game plan. And most importantly, and, and what Danny and I talked about earlier in this podcast, is you have to question Matt Eberflus kind of as the CEO and him kind of instilling his principles, hits principles, whatever you want to say, into this team. And that was the one thing. I, I was a bigger Matt Nagy defender than pretty much anyone, and I admit Matt Nagy's offense had issues. But I always believed in Matt Nagy, the head coach. 
And a lot of Bears fans were, oh, he's losing the locker room and all that. He never lost the locker room. Nagy kept that thing together and, you know, was was sputtering out eight and eight games, eight and eight seasons when it really felt like this team should have been winning five games, six games, but they were winning eight games at a time. So I give Nagy some credit there. And Matt Eberflus, after a three-win season, he really needs to show more as a coach. You know, this team's going to be Owen. Oh, his team is 0 2. It is probably going to be 0 3. Then you're going to have, you know, a pocket in the schedule there with Denver and Washington, and I think the Raiders, where there's going to be some potential for some winnable games there. And Matt Eberflus needs to make sure he keeps this team together, that he doesn't let this thing fall apart. And, and Danny, you know, I, I think you're back there and working okay. Matt Eberflus, so, assuming yeah. this team falls to 0-3, really needs to make sure that he keeps this team together and keeps them focused because 0-3, you're probably kissing the playoffs goodbye at that point, but it does not mean you have to fall to 2-15 and and collapse. It doesn't mean that. It also means that you're the defensive guy who doesn't run really like a – like use Todd Bowles as an example. Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph – Wink Martindale, et cetera, et cetera. These exotic blitzing, super like, like very complex defensive schemes. You're a guy who it's based on effort and tryhardiness and the fact that you have buy-in from your guys, right? So when you buy in, you're not you're not you can't be the coach who loses the locker room, right? That's what his mo is supposed to be. He's supposed to be the guy that keeps the, the chemistry and keeps the ability to never say die as it were. But we don't, only time is going to tell. And I was a big met like, God, my track record of liking coaches who get hired by the bears is just not great. Like the Matt Nagy cycle. Initially I wanted Frank Reich, which looking back on it, I wish that's who they would have hired, but they got Matt Nagy and that I, about fell off my chair when they hired him because I was like, there's no way they're going to hire this guy. He's only called plays for what, three games or something like that. Right. And then I was like, when, when they, before they hired Eberflus, I was like, I was full steam ahead on Brian Flores and that probably would have been a disaster in and of itself, but I still stand by my thoughts on Brian Flores. I love the guy, but Eberflus was the guy that, and it might be because of the age and the, the decade I come from, that he felt safe and he felt comfortable because of everything that Lovey Smith represented to a younger Bears fan that I was. And I thought that he did good things in Indianapolis, not with not a ton of talent outside of DeForest Buckner and and Shaq Leonard there in Indianapolis. And I was like, the guys seem to like him. It's buy-in. It's you know, it's it's something that seems like it's sustainable and teachable everywhere he goes. And here we are, and I just don't know. Like I thought he had buy-in, and I still think he kind of does. But it's on him, especially after a really tumultuous start to 2023, to show that he does. Because this can fall apart real quick. Oh, yeah. We're we're on the cusp of the collapse right now. And, and again, I, I think it is a safe assumption. I think they've, they're like a 12-point underdog to Kansas City now. I think they were nine a couple weeks ago. I think it's now 12. So, Jeez. I mean, that's going – it's hard to imagine they can even compete in that game where it's close in the fourth quarter, let alone win that game. So this is, you know, looking at to be an 0-3 football team, and that's going to be the cusp right there of collapse. 
he's got to have this team recover. And I think that's kind of a good transition to CJ Jones here, who goes, I'm wondering where do we go from here? What's the next move? And CJ, we're all as frustrated as you are, but the bottom line here is there, there is not a move that to be done. I mean, you're not going to fire Luke Getze right now. You're, you're not going to fire Matt Eberflus. And again, I, I brought this up on Twitter for those of you that want to fire Matt Eberflus. We will be lucky if he has a bad year, if they go three and 14, four and 13 kind of thing, they're going to have to fire him. But coaches' contracts are five-year contracts now for the most part. That's pretty much the standard deal. And Matt Eberflus, assuming he has a five-year deal, the Bears would have to eat three years of his head coaching contract. And he's probably making $5 million a year. They're going to have to eat $15 million to fire Matt Eberflus after this year. Sure, there'll be some offsets. But he's not going to make nearly the same kind of money as a defensive coordinator someplace else next year. They're going to have to eat an obscene amount of money. And you can sit there and complain, hey, who cares if this is what they have to do to win all that. But still, this isn't our money. This is the McCaskey's money. It's something – Mark Tressman is literally the only guy in the history of the franchise that was fired with two years left on his coaching contract. And do people remember what it took for Tressman to get fired? I mean, that that, that was – that second year was a – now, again, we could get there. We don't know where we're going this year. We could get there. But that was the biggest dumpster fire I've ever seen in Chicago sports history. And I just don't think – and maybe it's just me looking at the glass half full. I just don't think the locker room views him the way that locker room viewed Tressman. This no, is a I, foot, football lifer, man. This guy gets it. Like whether or not he can enforce it and instill it and teach it, but I don't know. Tressman was just a, such a different animal. Of even when he showed up, like everyone was just like, "This guy, this is what you're putting into a room full of grown quote for forget the term, but alpha males. This is the dude you're putting in front of them." Yeah, I never when 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 Mark Tress. I remember you know, and I wasn't involved really in, in, in bears media at this point when Tressman was hired, but I just remember I posted on my Facebook page when they hired him and, and everyone was calling for lovey's head after a 10 and six season, they were calling for lovey's head. I was just like, be careful what you wish for. You know, you want a new head coach, you know, and, and you know, I know lovey was definitely on, on the, on the way, you know, it was, it was on, on the downslope. I, I get all that, but Mark Tressman, I mean, you could sit there and say he's a good quarterback coach, good offensive coordinator, whatever you want to say. But the idea of this guy being a leader of men was laughable from the opening press conference. And, and sure enough, and everyone goes, oh, well, Trustman's first year was good. Well, no, it wasn't. The Bears went from 10 and 6 to 8 and 8. They got worse. And I understand they lost some players and everything, but this is a new coach and, and it was going to infuse the offense and all this. The team got worse and then collapsed. And, and that was the Mark Trestman, you know, era. So, if Matt Eberflus is going to get fired at the end of the year, if that's where you are as a Bears fan, you go, they got to get rid of Eberflus. It's not going to happen in season. There's just not a chance that's happening after a year, year plus. If it happens at the end of this season, then here's what you're looking at. The Bears won two, three, four games, and Justin Fields is so bad that Caleb Williams or Drake May is going to be the Bears quarterback in 2024. That's the kind of level of bad with a new coaching staff. That's the kind of level of bad that the bears have to be for Eberflus to be gone. In my opinion, I'm with you. And the, and I, I, I'm one of those people, I believe in continuity. Like it's one of those things, like a lot of bears fans hate the Packers and they hate certain things. Like I'm, I'm also a Cubs fan who's never hated the Cardinals kind of thing. I, I want that for my team. 
I want the Cardinals to be the Cubs. And I want the Bears to be the Packers. I believe in continuity. I believe in sustainability of of people who know what they're doing. Like it's the reason why I envy the Steelers. The Steelers have had three head coaches in what the entirety of their existence. Chuck Knoll, Bill, Bill. Yeah, since uh, since Chuck Knoll, it's, I mean they had some before that, but yeah, Chuck Knoll no. and Cower and and, Tyler, and, Tom. and that and that goes back to about nineteen seventy. Yeah, I've had three in the last nine years. <laughs> like it's so, so it's like a long-winded way of saying like I don't want to fire people. At the same time, I also believe the fish rots of the head, and I don't know that George McCaskey has an iota of a clue of what he's doing. Well, Danny, you brought that up, so I'll, I'll bring up uh, Chi-Town Bear 773 who says, substitute fields for Trubisky, and the results are the same. It's this Disagree. organization and the idiots who hire the dumb coaches. And look, here's the thing that's so frustrating about this team on the players and the coaches and everything. When they go elsewhere, you don't see a lot of success by, by these people. Now, Matt Nagy's having success in Kansas City, although, like I said, the Chiefs haven't looked great this year, but he's working with Andy Reid, right? Like, John Fox, he left, he just disappeared. That was the end of, end of John Fox's career. Ryan Pace did not get another GM spot. The Falcons are on the uptick, you know, but at the same time, what has Ryan Pace done? Who knows? That kind of thing. But even like... Bring players, a lot of former Bears to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. When, when players leave this organization... Like they don't go on to have huge success elsewhere because that's the kind of rotten roster the Bears have had for several mm -hmm. years. You know, everyone, all right, you know, Khalil Mack, you know, the exceptions, even Mack wasn't the same player anymore. You know, with the Chargers, he's still impactful, but it does. And that's the, the, the frustrating thing. Like I, I was having conversations about how difficult it is for the media to cover this team this week because. This organization is very secretive about a lot of things. And people are like, oh, Ryan Pace is too secretive. No, you know, Matt Eberflus is too secretive. Uh, Ted Phillips is too secretive. But the thing is, is everyone else is is over, is is changing over the course of this complaint. This is a long, this is a 10-year complaint about, about how the Bears run things. And we'll see if Kevin Warren starts changing things, and hopefully he does. But the only consistency around this time, now that the Bears still do this, is George McCaskey. Very odd how he wants his, his his team run. And I hope that Kevin Warren, if, if Matt Eberflus is gone and Ryan Poles gets to pick his own guy and everything, I hope we're done with consultants. You know, there's a team president in here for a reason who understands football. This isn't Ted Phillips anymore. Bringing in Bill Polian or Ernie Acorsi to, to find your, your, your top guys in football operations. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. And... Again, when we look at, at Ryan Poles, and there's plenty of things to, to pick at here with what he's done, but in terms of him hiring Matt Eberflus, you know, the, the, the story always was that Bill Polian narrowed this search down to three coaches, and then Ryan Poles got to pick from those three. Again, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but that's been the story that a lot of people have kind of talked about. But Bill Polian got this down, again, reportedly, to Eberflus, Dan Quinn and Jim Caldwell. And if that's the pool you're picking from out of everybody that was available, therein lies the problem, Danny. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like I it's maddening because I just feel like 
there's nothing we can do short of hoping for a sale of the team. And it doesn't sound like even when Virginia, you know, not wishing anything ill on her, but uh, even when that happens, it doesn't sound like George is just going to up and sell the team kind of thing. Like, no, I, I expect George to be around. I know Bears fans want the McCaskies to sell. I don't see any reason why. I To me, George McCaskey would look at it go, you know, my grandpa's George Hallis, and he'd be disappointed if I sold this team. That's to me how this is just going to look. And I, his I mother, his mother would be disappointed that he sold the team. So I just don't think it's going to happen. No, I, I, I really hope Kevin Warren is the admission of just, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts as a Bears fan, George wants what's best for this organization, and he wants to see winners. You know, this is a team, if you factor in the pre-merger championships, I believe they're still second or first all-time in NFL titles. Like, he wants them to be great. And the league, believe it or not, wants them to be great. It's the third biggest market in the damn country. Why wouldn't they want the Bears to be relevant and good? I don't think he knows how. Yeah, I agree. And and that's the frustrating part, I'm sure, even for him. Because I'm sure he's doing what he thinks is right, and he doesn't understand why it's not working. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if you're, you work within the confines of an office or, or in any kind of thing where you have multiple employees, you don't have to be a boss. You just have to have multiple employees around you. And they're like, oh, what do you think of Bob over there as a, as a worker? Bob's a great guy, but right. Like that's yeah, George McCaskey. Guy. Yeah. George yeah, McCaskey's the butt guy. George McCaskey's a <laughs> nice, nice man, but he does not know how to run an organization. He just doesn't. It, it's a problem. And you know, we're, this is this is what we're stuck with, and it's not going to change. And that's where you hope you really have to hope that Kevin Warren knows what he's doing, where George can just kind of let Kevin cook, do what he needs to do, improve this organization from top to bottom. Because if he doesn't do it, then we're in trouble. Like right. Kevin Warren is kind of a hail mary hire here. Like this needed to happen, and hopefully this will will work on multiple levels. Because you just can't have George involved. You can't have a chairman just running, you know, up to the podium at the end of the year where you're going, well, I'm not a football fan, but I'm going to make, I, I'm just a football fan. I'm not a football guy, but I'm going to make all the football decisions. That, that's not how you can work an organization. God, this feels like every conversation I've ever had with my old man of just like, well, you know, if mugs didn't pass away, like just, oh my God. <laughs> That's Muggs McCaskey, for those who don't know. He was apparently the football guy of the McCaskey clan. Just Yeah, right. So, yeah, Muggs McCaskey. George Hallis had two kids, Muggs and Virginia. And Muggs had a heart attack, I think it was, and passed away in, like, the <laughs> mid-'70s, like, at, at a very young age. Virginia was the only heir. George passes away. Or, uh, yeah, George Hallis <laughs> passes away. Virginia gets the team. Her husband is Ed McCaskey. Ed runs the team for a while, doesn't know what he's doing passes it to the oldest son, Michael. Michael doesn't know what he's doing. Of course, Michael gets sick, passes it to George. George doesn't know what he's doing. And this is since, you know, 1982. So, so somehow, um, some way, the, the Bears built up a, a dominant team in the 80s. But th this is this is the cycle of incompetence because there's no one at the top that knows what they're doing. Sorry, and, but I didn't mean to derail anything this conversation. It just feels like, it just feels like this is what the, I do every year. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's Groundhog Day over and over with this team, and that's where it's so frustrating, and that's where I'm trying to keep my head up on this season because I'm starting to get to this point where it's a lost season, and I'm worried. Like, if we get to week five or six of this season and Justin Fields isn't improving and we're seeing him continue to regress 
and, and Matt Eberflus is in the guy, and this team is one and five or zero oh and six or whatever it is. And we're sitting here going, we've got to endure another 10, 11 games with this team, knowing that this is a rudderless ship that is going nowhere. And we're just going to wait until the 2024 off season to see, you know, exactly where we are. And that's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll jump over here to this comment from Donald uh, Jabibsky. I hate to say it, but I see an end of season one or two wins that will let the Bears miss out on the number one overall pick and also gets and also lets George convince himself to keep Fluss. Fluss plus May ain't going to work out, and it's obvious. Now, I would say this. I do not think if the Bears, assuming it's Caleb Williams one and Drake May two, assuming that's what happens, if the Bears are in a position to draft either of them and need to, I have a hard time believing Matt Eberflus is going to keep his job, even with potentially three years left on that contract. You're talking, if they have the second pick in the draft, you're talking about four wins tops. You're going to be talking about Matt Eberflus, who's going to be seven and 27 as a head coach at that time. Mm-hmm. So Donald, I'm going to disagree with you there. Now, if the bears go six and 11, and Justin Fields puts up the numbers we said at the beginning of the year where he has 3,500 yards and 600 you know, rushing yards, but is up and down, interceptions are high, decisions are questionable. To me, that's about the worst-case scenario because Matt Eberflus could keep his job. You're going to have to punt on the quarterback in a potentially really good quarterback class. And usually what happens after a really good quarterback class, the next year quarterback class is not any good, and that's where the Bears were having to pick, you know, ended up picking Mitch Trubisky. I understand Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were better choices, but this is kind of what happens here. If the Bears are undecided on Justin Fields and go, let's give him and Matt Eberflus and everyone another year because we're just not sure where we are as a franchise, that to me is the worst case scenario. That is the worst case scenario. And I said it at the beginning of the show, the worst case outcome of this whole season is that we don't have any answer on Justin. That's the worst outcome that he's left enough to show you something. And they he's are he showing you enough to like question some things or, but he hasn't shown enough to be like, all right, well, it's time to move on. But the question I have for you, Bill is regarding that whole little rant you just went on. Do you trust that polls is the guy to even make the right decision on the quarterback? I don't really. Um, I'm on the fence with Ryan polls. And again, I liked a lot more what he did this this year than his first year, but there's plenty of questions that I have on Ryan Poles. Now, I will, and this is what I keep saying about Ryan Poles. Because Ryan Pace messed up so much at the end of his tenure, and I supported Ryan Pace for a lot of it. I think Ryan Pace did a, a fine job through 2019. He built a team that went 12 and 4 in 2018, 2019. Wasn't as good, but he brought back the team, right? He couldn't re-sign everyone. He brought in Buster mm-hmm. Screen. He did the best he could with, with no money left to kind of keep that 2018 core together with the plan that Mitch Trubisky is going to break out and we're going to, to, you know, continue down this path. Mitch didn't break out. Things derailed. But after 2019, Ryan Pace just held on to his hope that Mitch Trubisky would be the guy and tried to save his job, punted money into the future, brought in guys he shouldn't have brought in. It was a hot mess from 2020 and 2021. It was a disaster. Now Ryan Poles comes into a team where he's got to jettison a ton of bad money. 
He's got uh, already a ton of dead money from from you know bad contracts and money that was punted in the future with with those you know the I can't even the, the, the extra years you know on the end of the deals like Pace made him a mess. But because George didn't handle things properly either, George needed to fire Nagy and and Pace after 2020. But he decided to give him one more year. The Russell Wilson thing falls apart, so Pace pivots and gets Justin Fields. Now at that point, you need to give Pace and Nagy two more years to develop Justin Fields. Now what the Bears have done is what I can't think of any organization has done in the last 15 years, and that's have a new regime come in with a rookie quarterback that you have to try, you know, and a second-year quarterback then, that you have to try and develop. The new regime usually gets to bring in their own quarterback and start over. But because things were such a mess, you got rid of the old regime and brought in a new regime and said, here's Justin Fields and a pile of garbage. What can you do? That's not how you build a franchise back up. No, I agree. I'm just, I think I'm at the point, not at the point, but I'm getting to the point where if you get to this, you're going to punt on Fields, you're going to fire Eberflus, like just be done with it. Just end it all. Like let Kevin Warren get his whole own regime in, and hopefully he's not bringing in the corpse of a Corsier, Bill Polian, and telling him who he should hire. Like he's got connections, he knows people, he's been around football. That was the ideal ideology, rather, behind bringing in a Kevin Warren. Right? Like he's not going to need to talk to other people. Right? He's going to be able to know who he has to talk to, talk to them, and be and go through his own process. Now, I like like you. I'm conflicted on polls because I get what he was doing, like built, ripping it down to the absolute studs, just like Ryan Pace did, building it back up and bringing in his guys, his supremely athletic draft classes, and making sure he doesn't cripple the cap, as it were, right away. That being said. I think he can still be admonished for issues of double dipping, for instance, this year at the defensive tackle position and a not great defensive tackle class. Gervon Dexter had no business being drafted where he was drafted. Like him or not, like I don't wish ill on the kid. I don't think he's going to be awful or anything. But when he was picked, I remember where I was. I was watching with my wife and I looked at her and I go, that guy shouldn't have gone until the third round minimum. Like that's where he should have been. And you're taking him that early. Like I don't, I, and I'm not claiming that I'm an expert cause I'm not, but I also trust what my eyes tell me. And if my eyes are telling me what other experts are telling me, then something's got to be lining up. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing with Ryan Poles, I'm, I'm on the fence and I think there's enough at this point with what Poles has built up that if Matt Eberflus is fired at the end of the year, I don't think Ryan Poles is fired. No, he's gonna get us he's gonna get a second coach. He will get a second coach. Yeah, I and we're I'm, gonna hear and we're gonna hear all the stories come out about how he was saddled with Matt Eberflus. Right. And and maybe he was. Like I said, if again, if you're picking for Matt Eberflus, Dan Quinn, and Jim Caldwell, if that's accurate, and I'm not saying hundred percent it is, but if that's accurate. I probably would have picked Matt Eberflus too, because Dan Quinn's a retread and Jim Caldwell, you know, out of the league at this point. Like that's that's basically if that's what he had to pick from, that that's a bad selection to pick from. So I think Ryan Poles gets another yeah. another crack at a head coach. And I hope 
if that's the case, if we have a this kind of year that it looks like it may be, and there's a new coach coming in in 2024, that coach needs, needs, needs to be an offensive-minded head coach. I am so sick of having defensive-minded head coaches in the, the last 10 years. I know Nagy wasn't, but between Fox and, and this is this is not how the NFL operates anymore. I would always hire an offensive head coach. Um, I, maybe I'm just stuck in the past. I, I just want the best guy I believe to be the head coach, and I thought Eberflus might have been that, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't necessarily. I believe Sean McDermott's a good head coach. I think John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin are two of the best in the league at what they do. Bill Belichick's the most accomplished head coach of all time. To well, me. But here, here's what I would but, say to that: John but, but Harbaugh, they, John Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, and Mike Tomlin were hired before this current era of football. Sure, and and that's and that's an absolute fair assessment. I just think when you get to this point of only hire the offensive play caller, you're going to start hiring underwhelming coaches because you're trying to get to this certain level of offensive playing caller. Kevin O'Connell had no business being hired when he did. And I know he went, he won 13 games last year. Luckily. Luckily. And now the, the regression monster is already rearing its ugly head. They're and two in one score games when they were what seven and two last year in them or right. something like that. Like, and I'm not saying Kevin O'Connell is going to be a bad head coach either. Just like I was never saying that Matt Eberlus was going to be a good head coach. I'm just saying there's things to look at. All right. We'll wrap up with this last comment because why not? And there's, Sorry, three, there's three comments. <laughs> so I'm just going to pick this one because it's succinct. Bajit from William Armstead Buzani. When do you want to see Tyson Bajit out there, Danny? I, I don't. <laughs> Short of field getting hurt. I don't ever want to see Tyson Bajit play meaningful football because you know why? He's probably not any good. He's a fun story. He's got the cool father who was like a 17-time arm wrestling champ or something like that. It's a good story. He was an awesome subdivision college quarterback. If he's your starting NFL quarterback and you're trying to tie some sort of like minimal success to him, oh, you're doomed. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I with you know, Bajan shouldn't be out there. We should not oh, see if Tyson Bajan is the future. I mean, literally in the last, what, 25 years, Tony Romo is literally the only undrafted quarterback that went on to have a level of a, a significant level of success. So is Tyson Bajan that guy? Maybe, but it's about a one in 500 shot that he is. So let's just keep him as a backup and see what happens over the next couple three years. That's all we need yeah. to do with Tyson Bajan. But already uh, should they play Bajan? <laughs> Danny, let's wrap up the podcast. Do you have any final thoughts about this game, this season, the coaching fields, anything you want? The floor is yours. Um, final thoughts. They better get it together. Like I don't expect them to win at Kansas City, which of course means they're going to like either keep it competitive or like sneak one out by like two points in the final seconds or something like that with a. Cairo Santos revenge field goal against his former team or something. But I just, I want a true answer on fields more or less. Let him rip it. Give the, give the outlaws rifle back to reference what I said earlier. Give the, give, give the gunslingers weapon. Yeah. Call the, call the runs. Let him rip it. God forbid he throw an interception. Cause you know, 
you know what? You learn a lot more from mistakes than you do from successes. The guy has never failed in his life until the NFL. And how much of that is his own doing? I don't know. How much is it all coaching in this, the, the situations doing? I don't know. I want an answer. Let him, let him be, let Justin do what makes him special and live with the results. You're not winning things, anything meaningful this year anyway. That's what I want. Yeah. And final thoughts for me, and we don't need to preview the Kansas city game. Obviously it's, it's, it's seven days away, but in this Kansas city game, I just want to say, let's, you know, what, you know, as the one listener said, you know, what's next, what can we do next? Let Justin be Justin, move the pocket, get him away from Chris Jones, get him out there, you know, cut the field in half, do some, do some things, work in some more play action, get the ball down the field, 20, 30 yards to DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney, if he's out there, do some things to let Justin Fields be him because you need to start getting him in a rhythm. We talked about how he's a rhythm player in, in a game. You need to start getting him as a rhythm player in the season because he's not there yet. He's very disjointed. He's putting together a couple throws here, a couple runs here, but he's not being who he can be. So to me, I don't care about winning or losing this game next week because I'm already assuming it's a loss. But to me, <laughs> let's actually see – Justin Fields start going in the right direction because right now he's spinning his wheels in the mud and we can't have that. We, we have to see some progression this year from Justin Fields to get some answers and get us somewhere this year, Danny, because it, it, it's not, uh, it's not going anywhere. And, and I will say as, as a final thought, if you go back and listen to the end of my bears banter podcast with Danny Parkins, where I finish every week with a, a prediction, you will hear me say Tampa Bay bucks, 27 bears, 17. So I'll just kind awesome. of pat, pat myself you know there. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> um, you know what? Screw it. Just bring in Greg Roman as a special advisor. What could go wrong? Uh, yeah, besides Fields running the ball 25 times a game, nothing. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this puppy up. Not your average Bears post-game show. I'm Bill Zimmerman. You can follow me on Twitter slash X at Bill T. Zimmerman. My guest this week has been Danny Meehan at Dan Meehan 90. Yep, you got it. All right, at Dan Meehan 90 on Twitter slash X. And, of course, you can catch uh, me in my podcast this week. I should have Sylvian from ESPN. He should be the Bears banter guest this week. And catch catch Danny on the live stream Thursday evening on bare bones with Mason West. Danny, thanks so much. We'll do this again down the road and hopefully we'll have something positive to say. Thanks for having me. And uh, sorry about my technical issues there. <laughs> no problem. We got through it. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>